When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and happy five days to the NCAA season. We're so close. Super excited to talk about that today. To do that, I'm here with Jen Hatfield and Calvin Wetzel from our Her Hoop Stats team. Hey, Jen. Hey, Calvin. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having us. It's going, you know, I can't complain when college basketball is less than a week away. Yeah. Hey, how are you guys doing? It's it's good to be with you. For sure. And yeah, like Jen said, exciting that we're less than a week from the season. By this time next week, there will be college basketball on TV. So that is for sure something to celebrate. Um, I think all three of us obviously are extremely excited for that. Um, so if you are kind of listeners that have been along for a while, you might remember our two-part preview podcast from last year we're just gonna do one part this this season but we're gonna have lots of hot takes our picks for all americans final four picks all that fun stuff in this episode so really excited to kind of talk about some of the things coming up and that we're watching in the college season let's we'll start it off with the hot takes jen calvin do you have one that you want to kind of tip us off with i can uh i can get us started with uh i have a couple but but i'll just start out with i think I don't know how you, you guys can tell me how hot this is. Uh, I think Oregon is going to have a first team All-American again. Uh, they lost, obviously, about as much as you can lose in uh, Sabrina, Satu, and Ruthie. Um, but they, they have so many unknowns. And I think 
at least one of those sort of unknowns is going to is going to surprise us all and be a top 5 player in the country. You have Taylor Chavez who Kelly Graves likes a lot um and she's going to be you know running the point now. You have Sedona Prince. I don't know if I'm stealing any of Jen's hot takes. I know I know Jen really likes Sedona Prince too, but uh she we she was a top 10 recruit. We haven't even seen her play yet in college. 6-7 force uh in the paint. Um and then you have Taylor Mikesell from Maryland, obviously a very talented transfer, and uh, Nayar Sabali, Satu's sister. There's so much talent on this team. And Aaron Bully, I haven't even mentioned, uh, you know, Aaron Bully, the only returning starter who I don't think gets enough credit for how well she can shoot it. So I don't know who it's going to be necessarily, but I think one of those players is going to be a first-team All-American. That's funny because I was going to start with Oregon too. Uh, I don't have exactly the same hot take, though I would I would definitely buy yours. Um, mine was that I think Oregon could in some ways be even harder to guard this year than they were last year um, in the sense that Kelly Graves has said that the offense is going to run in a lot of ways through Sedona Prince um, because she is 6'7", and she apparently can shoot three-pointers, and she's a really good passer, which is kind of terrifying when you think about all of the weapons that Oregon has on the perimeter. Uh, Graves has also said that this could be the best three-point shooting team he's ever had at Oregon, which he's had some pretty good ones. So between all the shooting on the outside and then Prince on the inside, and then Nayara Savoli doing whatever she can do, which you know I'm sure she can do a lot. I just don't quite know what that is yet. Um, I'm really ex- excited about Oregon and, and excited to watch them play. And I think, I think their offense is going to be great and it'll be a matter of how good their defense is for, for figuring out their ceiling. Having a six, seven player who can, who can pass and shoot with, you know, surrounded by four other shooters is, is just scary to think about. For sure. I mean, that's you don't see a lot of players like that, right? And then for context on that three-point shooting thing, if they're going to have the best three-point shooting team they've ever had, they were third in the country in three-point shooting last year, <laughs> first the year before. Like, like they are already re- were really good at three-point shooting. So if it's even better, I mean, yeah, two years ago, 2018, 2019, when they were first in the country, 41% from deep as a team, that's like really high for an individual player, let alone a team, and then 39.5% last year. So those are just some insane three-point percentages to begin with. And then add in the fact that if Kelly Gravesons are going to be even better, I'm scared to try to guard that team from deep. Yeah, apparently he said, if you can tell, I've read a lot of what Kelly Graves has said lately, but um, he he said that eight players have the green light to shoot three-pointers, which like, is it possible for eight players to all go cold in one game? Like, probably not. No, I was just going to say, if you have eight shooters, you're going to, someone every game is going to be hitting threes. Yeah, and like, honestly, they probably are also going to have one or two uh, of those players be cold on any given night, you know, is what I was going to say. But at the same time, even if you don't shoot collectively, I'm not sure if I buy that, you know, what Kelly Graves is saying that collectively they're going to have the highest three-point percentage that they've ever had. I don't know if he's even saying it that way. But you don't even have to shoot as high of a three-point percentage as a team if in order to be as dangerous or as effective. When you have five players on the court, who can all shoot it versus last year, we know Ruthie, you know, was never going to step out and take a three. There's always at least one player on the court who isn't going to shoot a three. Obviously, Mignon Moore was not great at shooting threes in terms of, you know, at least for a guard, she was maybe capable. But if you can put 
five players, even if your best shooter isn't at that same level, if you can put five players who can even somewhat shoot it, that's still a lot harder to guard. And we haven't even talked about uh, the freshman Tahina Pow Pow. I think that's how you say it. Uh, but her her last name alone, uh, longtime listeners might know that every winter I do a best names in women's college basketball story, and and she is a a leading contender to be featured there. So we haven't even gotten to her, and she's she's supposed to be just a a really great point guard. I think she was what a top thirty recruit. So they've they've got a lot of talent coming in. Along with another Taylor, they've got three Taylors on the roster. So, hot take: maybe Kelly Graves should only recruit Taylors, and he'll be fine. <laughs> That's a new recruiting strategy yeah. for sure. <laughs> Two of you, I don't know. I wasn't that high on Oregon before, but now I feel like I should be higher on them. I'm very high on them. I uh, I think you know. I think we're going to get into this a little bit later too. You know, when we get to our Final four picks, spoiler, but um, I, th- I think Kelly Graves is going to really, really prove this year that, you know, he's, uh, I mean, everyone already knows he's an elite coach, but uh, he, he lost as much as anyone can lose. And yet I think they might honestly be as good or at least very close to what they were last year. Yeah, they're definitely young, but they're so talented and they're going to be really deep. And like, we haven't even hit on all their players who are exciting and, and, you know, who have improved their game. Erin Bully reportedly has expanded her game. So I'm, I'm really excited about them and curious to see if they if they outperform where they were projected to finish in the Pac-12 poll. Where where, where did the Pac-12 poll have them? I believe that they were third, right? Yeah, I was, was going to say, I think it was third. I think it was first was Stanford, second was Arizona, third Oregon, fourth UCLA. Yeah, the crazy thing is Oregon could be like sixth in the country and still not outperform third in the Pac-12. So who knows? <laughs> this is very true. The Pac-12, once again, probably the bit like most notable league to follow this season. Especially at the top. For sure, for sure. Everybody says that media has East Coast bias. We started out West. Starting it out West, but I'll take it east for the next hot take i feel like uconn could fall out of the top 10 at some point this season and i'm gonna say that with like the most likely time that it would happen would be probably a bit of an overreaction if this happens but something that could very easily happen i think because i think it's very possible they start the season one and two they've got quinnipiac in their first game but then they play mississippi state most likely in their second game and louisville in their third game Wow, that's a very hot take, Megan. Come from a UConn fan, especially. I feel like we got to throw out when we when we uh, have takes like this some sort of disclaimer that like every game currently on the schedule may or may not actually happen. True. And so those games that you just said may or may not actually happen, we may or may not have. And also, there may or may not be games. I don't know exactly how the protocols are going to work, but there may or may not, may not be games where not every player is available. And all of a sudden the team, you know, is without two or three of their star players because of COVID and uh, they lose a game that, you know, they other, otherwise would have had in a very good chance of winning. Um, and so things are just going to be weird this year. Um, UConn falling out of the top 10 would be very weird, but this would be like the year where that would be where weird things like that would happen if there ever was one. 
Yeah, and I think just from a schedule perspective too, right? Like that's a rough schedule out of the gauntlet for a young team and I'm like not a knock to people voters. I just think that we like voting tends to be very reactive and if most teams, you know, win their first couple games and then UConn's all of a sudden one and two, I very much see them kind of like just falling dramatically in the poll. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like almost if they don't, like you'll get the people on Twitter who are like, well, that's the UConn bias, you know, that you're, you're leaving <laughs> in there. They're one and two. And then if you do drop them a lot, then everybody's going to be like, well, but but like Louisville's really good and they've been practicing since June. They've been together on campus and, you know, Mississippi State's really good. So I feel like kind of either way, there's going to be some, there's going to be backlash on Twitter like if the Huskies start one and two, there's going to be reaction uh, backlash to the polls, regardless of how it works out. And then there's, of course, going to be like widespread panic in the state of Connecticut. Oh yeah, there is nothing rational about UConn fans because <laughs> <laughs> people are like upset that they haven't won a championship in four years or whatever. But I mean, in my opinion, if they start the season one and two, it is not at all a cause for panic. Like it's two really good losses and. A very young team, I wouldn't be panicked at all. If they're competitive in those games, there's nothing to be panicked about. But that won't be the sentiment in most of the state, I'm sure. Yeah, people love to overreact. And, and especially like early when there's very, so few games to go off of. And I just want to say like this year, now that the AP poll has, you know, the, the individual voters uh, votes are public, like, if you're on Twitter and you disagree with, you know, someone's vote because UConn starts one and two and you think they're still third and someone voted them 11th or you think they should be 15th and someone voted them second, like state your opinion, but just don't be a jerk about it. Like chill out. Cause <laughs> like, every, you know, especially now that we can call out people, you know, and single people out. Like I just hope people don't go crazy with that because everyone, like who knows who's right at the end of the day, you know, when a team starts out one and two, maybe, it's because they played two great teams, but maybe they really are going to have a down year. No one knows. So just uh, let's all be nice on Twitter. That's my plug. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice to see. I feel like there's no <laughs> shortage of people not being nice on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to listen to me, but I just, I just want to throw it out there anyway. <laughs> so I've got a geographically close hot take uh, to UConn. Uh, I'll go to Syracuse. Um, I think they are wildly underrated in the initial preseason polls. The AP has them at 23rd and the coaches poll has them at 21st. And they are like their starting lineup or like, you know, rotation could be really scary. They've got Tiana Mangakahia back from breast cancer. So shout out to her. Welcome back. That's an amazing story. Um, but pairing her with Kiara Lewis um, and with Emily Engsler, who both returned from last year. And then they've got these two freshmen who are top 10 recruits. One of them is Camilla Cardoso. She's six foot seven. She can dunk the ball. And she averaged... I wrote this down because it's just it's just so unbelievable. As a senior in high school, she averaged 24 points, 16 rebounds, and nine blocks a game. Wow. <laughs> That's like nearly a triple-double as an average, not like a one-game stat line. That is insane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can only laugh at that stat line. <laughs> and then like not too shabby, their other top 10 freshman is Priscilla Williams, who's a 6'2 guard. Like... Yeah. 
Okay, Jen. So you so that you said in the twenties is too low for them. Where where do you have them ranked? Where would you put them? Let's see. I haven't done you know a full full top twenty five poll, so I don't have a specific number. But all right. Well, I'm putting you on the spot. You got to pick a number. <laughs> probably put them in at eleven, twelve, thirteen range. Uh, in the AP poll, that's Kentucky, Maryland, and Texas A and M. Te- Texas A&M, I also think, could be a really big sleeper, by the way. But I think Syracuse slots in right around there for now. Because um, Oregon's at number 10. Um, so I'm not sure I want to jump them necessarily. Um, but I think Syracuse is going to be really good. That's fair. I I feel like there's some question marks there, right? Like, you don't know. I hope Tiana is able to come back at like the level that she was at, but you don't know. So I wonder if that factors into... Um, question like why they're lower and then of course freshmen are always a wild card but I mean those freshman stats and there's like a 6-2 guard there's like nothing more fun in my opinion than a tall guard because they can just do a little bit more on the floor than your like average guard can do and it just adds such an extra element to their game it's certainly more fun than the reverse which is what I was a much too short post player (laughs) (laughs) short post players are 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 fun to watch when they uh when they can just you know out rebound everyone their size, but but yeah, big guards are. I mean, being able to switch on anyone and being able to post up smaller defenders and blow by bigger defenders, there's it's just a weapon. Also, I feel like we need some sort of like dynamic duo nickname for Camilla and Priscilla. I haven't thought of one yet, but, <laughs> but we need that. Jen, well, you're the names you're the names person. That's that's a uh, that seems like your territory. All right, I got like a month and a half. My <laughs> homework assignment. Yeah. Also, also, if the, if you need another reason to watch Syracuse, uh, Coach Q's outfits and oh yeah, he has to wear masks. So I'm expecting a lot. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's like in terms of like women's basketball coaches like sideline outfits. It's like for if as far as male coaches go, at least it's like. Uh, Kurt Miller from Connecticut Sun and Coach Q, top top of the list. You think we can definitely run an exercise bike when he's stressed out like Kurt Miller was? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I like that idea. <laughs> I have to say, I love the sideline swag. Like it's just the fashion game. I don't know what it is. It's just like it's just fun. Oh, for sure. I love me like a Kim Mulkey bright colored power suit. <laughs> to be able to talk about a male coach's sense of style as well you know if we're only talking about female coaches style that can get a little bit it can feel a little bit condescending at times but being able to be you know equal opportunity across all genders to discuss their fashion choices is just pure fun amen to that Jen, putting you back on the spot about Syracuse how do you feel about where they are in the ACC poll I think they came in that third it looks like I'm both the blue ribbon panel and the head coaches bowl there do you feel like that's fair do you think they've got a chance to be higher than that in the ACC I think that's fair um I really like what NC State has and you know Louisville's you know they've got the returning ACC player of the year you know they're going to be good I don't have any problem with them third uh maybe they jump one of those teams that's that's asking a lot but I think I think third feels right to me 
Yeah, I would agree with you. I also think it feels right to me, but I had an ACC hot take, so yeah. makes for a good segue. Um, I actually think, I, I know that Louisville is the preseason number one. Both balls think that makes sense. But I think that NC State has a pretty good shot at actually winning the ACC this year. They haven't won it since 1990 when K-Wow was still the coach there. Um, but I think they've got a good shot of taking that one home this year. I think that's a great take. Um, partly, partly to be completely honest, because I'm a little bit worried about Louisville's post depth. Um, they've got four post players, but three of them are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So I'm a little concerned about what they have there. Um, I was telling Megan and Calvin off air that I wish we could combine Louisville and Baylor into a super team. Uh, but short of that, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about calling such a guard heavy team, uh, the favorite in that league you know it's it's such a tough league and I really like Elisa Cunane from NC State um I will certainly be talking about her later when we get down to all Americans but I think she's fantastic and and behind her I think NC State has a really good shot at winning the league yeah well and she's maybe one of the reasons why uh if you're Louisville that lack of post depth is a problem right because you're gonna have to guard her absolutely Yep. Yep. And there's a, a handful of other teams on there that have got some strong post players. So it's going to be a physical league. And yeah, I just, it could be some trouble for Louisville to, the guard depth is there and they're going to be good in the backcourt. But if you can't match that in the front court, I think it's hard to kind of sustain the level of play you need to win the ACC. Calvin, you want to give us another one? Yeah, I got one more hot take. Uh, I, I'm going to say that Destiny Henderson at, at South Carolina is going to be as good as Ty Harris uh, at point guard. I Whoa. think um, <laughs> that might be a little bit, a little bit hotter than my first take. Uh, I mean, she was a top six recruit. Uh, she was recruited in the same uh, class, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as Sedona Prince and was ahead of her. Um, and she's, uh, Dawn Staley just knows how to coach point guards. Um, I think, you know, I, I, she's only obviously going to have one one year as uh, as I guess the full time starter. Um, so and and she wasn't necessarily hasn't necessarily lived up to that top six recruit billing. But but I think this is this is her year to really break out. If we had if we were going to talk about breakout candidates too, uh, I would put her on that list. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she pairs with Zaya Cook, um, who came in as a as a point guard recruit, but played more off the ball. You know, with Ty Harris last year, um, I think they're kind of battling it out for the starting point guard title. But I don't know how meaningful that will be in practice. You know, particularly if they play alongside each other, they can both really, you know, whoever gets the ball just just push it and and run the offense, and then you know maybe the next time the other person will initiate or whatever. I mean, more and more teams in, in basketball at all levels are going to the, you know, two point guard kind of thing. Even like Oregon last year with Sabrina, you know, was, was the point guard. But you also, Mignon Moore was a point guard, so to speak. And, and uh, it, I think it works really well in today's game. So, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. For sure. And if you're right, because I feel like for me, the biggest thing with South Carolina right now is like outside of Aaliyah Boston and... I'm like, I don't know who else from that lineup steps up enough to make them the best team in the country. And Destiny Henderson is certainly a candidate for that. Um, but I think they need like a couple players to really step it up to stay in that number one spot. 
Yeah, well, Jen has another one, too. I don't know if this is one of your hot takes or not, Jen, but Jen's got another breakout candidate from South Carolina. Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't put a lot of breakout candidates in my uh, hot takes because I am writing an article on them. But I think the one that Calvin's referring to is actually I picked I picked Zaya Cook in full transparency from South Carolina. But honestly, it could be like anyone on that roster, not even to Leah Boston. It's kind of it's kind of wild. Um, but Lily Grissett, who's a senior, she moved from the four to the three last year and has reportedly this offseason uh, been running the point on occasion um, as like a power forward or a point forward. Sorry. Um, and that's exciting. I, I think, you know, hats off to her for shifting first from the four to the three so quickly and, and really taking to that as, you know, kind of a another like big guard and then now putting her at, I, I think she stands six two. And so that's a really big point guard. So that's exciting. And then I think Brie Beal, we haven't talked to her, talked about her, but you know, she was just a defensive weapon for them, you know, a, a jack of all trades last year. And um, if she can step up on offense too, to, to kind of match her defense, man, South Carolina is going to be, gonna be scary I'm, I'm really excited for that UConn South Carolina game that's currently scheduled I believe in January and fingers crossed that we that we get to that point in the season and get to see that oh for sure I'm also obviously excited for that game but yeah I mean there's just so many candidates there to kind of step up their game so it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how all of that shakes up and what their lineup looks like and how that evolves as the season goes on absolutely and then, of course, next year, if they, you know, in case they needed any more talent, they add number two, number three, and number four. So, and they'll still have Aaliyah Boston <laughs> and Zaya Cook and Bria Beal. <laughs> Aaliyah Boston is a sophomore. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's insane. <laughs> like, hot take, she probably could have been like a lottery pick in last year's WNBA draft if she was eligible and they have her for at least three more years because this year uh, doesn't count towards her eligibility. It's essentially a free season for everybody. So they could have her for four more years. Yeah. How's that going to work with the WNBA? If that, would she allowed to be, to go, would she be allowed to go after next year still though? If even though the season doesn't count per se. Yeah, I think so. I don't assume that like the WNBA is changing their eligibility rules when also it's, it would be, I think it's based on like, it's so it's, the rule is you can, it's either you finished your college eligibility, you turn 22 in the year yeah. that you're being drafted, so that wouldn't be affected by um, the extra season, or it's like the year your original class would have graduated. So even though it's like an extra year of eligibility, it doesn't really, I don't think they're going to change the effect that like, that's still like the four year mark when they would have graduated or whatever. Yeah, it's, to, it's the calendar year, right? You, if you turn 22 that calendar year, so if the draft is in April, if yeah. you don't turn 22 till December, you're still eligible, I believe. Right, right. Um, yeah. But so, I mean, the, she could have three or four or five years. Who knows? Yeah, it's the whole like extra year of eligibility thing is definitely going to be interesting because it kind of like throws this wrench into like planning for rosters and like what to expect for teams, but also like when players can can stay and leave and stuff It'll, it's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out it's probably like a whole nother podcast yeah. um but <laughs> it is but yeah we're probably like oh no dear 
when that when that rule came on because now they effectively have to scout like twice as many players because players may or may not come out and may go back to school and all that and it's like I, I don't know how they how they deal with the uncertainty though I guess I guess on the men's side they've managed so I'm sure the women can figure it out too and maybe maybe in some way it'll end up being really good for the game in in the sense that they'll have to scout more broadly in case you know a, a good chunk of players return to school so maybe it'll have a silver lining yeah there's definitely going to be a there's definitely going to be a domino effect for you know covid could end 2 months from now and and still 3 years from now that that domino effect will be you know showing up in terms of recruiting and the rosters and everything like that that would be great in two months. I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> just, you know, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. At least it feels like we're on the way with like the vaccine news. Is, there seems to feel like there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I hope, I hope that very soon it'll be safe to go to games again and that we can be discussing final four locations as normal. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I did find out that media is allowed at, this has nothing to do with anything, but at Illinois State Games. And so I am going to go and sit like 50 feet away from anyone, like Upper Bowl. And I am excited just to be able to watch a basketball game in person because it's been so long and I feel a little bit deprived. Yeah, I just got credentials approved for the uh, Mohegan Sun games for UConn, so I'm looking forward for that for sure. I have no credential requests in right now. I'm in the D.C. area and haven't really inquired. I think I'm I think I'm so used to all the zooms from the WNBA season that I'm going to have to like relearn how to cover a game in person and like be personable again. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so for i know at least mohegan sun for bubbleville is doing zoom is still like the press conference format it's just you can be there to watch the game so really just going to get to see the game in person remember how to like put on pants and get to the yeah Yeah, that part i'm not really sure about (laughs) real clothes that's not something that i've been doing very often (laughs) (laughs) on a podcast about what your experience was like wearing pants and going to an arena (laughs) yeah (laughs) What it was like to put real pants on for the first time in <laughs> six months or whatever it's been. <laughs> yeah, my pants are collecting dust. <laughs> I, uh, I'm moving uh, locally, uh, but I've been trying to clean out my closet and I tried on every single pair of my work pants last weekend and <laughs> experience. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot I had this pair and like oh this pair's cuter than I thought and like oh nope that's not gonna work you know the whole the whole gamut <laughs> <laughs> all right shall we wrap up the hot takes does anyone else have any more I have one more all right, go for it so I was really excited about one particular pair of guards and the scoring that they're going to provide and I was trying to decide who the best backcourt duo is in the country in this. And I have a top three and none of them are your traditional uh, women's basketball powerhouses. Uh, And I'm going to leave off the Syracuse pairing because of, you know, we're all waiting to see what Tiana is going to be. So with apologies to, to Syracuse's um, wonderful backcourt starting duo, um, I have 
Destiny Slocum and Chelsea Dungy at Arkansas. They were uh, my top pairing. I think they're going to be, uh, well, Debbie Antonelli would call them ticket selling players. I don't know what she's changed that to in COVID times, but <laughs> like if you want just scoring, go watch those two work because I'm really excited about it. Uh, number two, Ari McDonald and Shayna Pellington in Arizona. That They're going to be a great pairing. And then number three, uh, Allie Patberg and Grace Berger from uh, Indiana, who I think is going to be really good this season. So if anyone needs any, you know, push to go watch, you know, teams that maybe haven't had the historic success of a Baylor or a Stanford, uh, just to name a couple, like go watch those uh, those backcourt duos because, you know, some of them are seniors and, and limited time only. For sure. I feel like Arkansas is one of the most exciting teams to watch for this season like that backcourt duo they were pretty good last year in general and then you add destiny slocum um they're just such a fast team too which just makes them fun to watch so i think that's just in general gonna be such a team fun team to watch this season yeah like even last year like they you know they lost some not super close games to south carolina i think their last meeting was actually a fair amount closer but even like getting beaten by South Carolina a fair amount because that's what South Carolina did to people last year. Like those games were really exciting just because Arkansas is so up tempo and and you know really just can put on a show offensively. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to watch Arkansas this year too. Both the uh, both those two you mentioned Jen are fifth year seniors, so a lot of experience. Debbie Antonelli shoot till your arm falls off, right? That's that's what that team is going to do. And, uh, and, and they got, they got another, uh, they got another member of their coaching staff now who's, who's kind of has that mindset too. uh, coach neighbors added, added Kelsey Plum to, to his coaching staff, uh, who played for, played for him at Washington. So, um, that's going to be, that's going to be really exciting to watch, you know, the effect that she has and just, just, uh, the talent that they have pushing the ball up the floor. I would love to watch a shooting contest in practice between Destiny, Chelsea, and Kelsey Plum. Like, I would watch, or like in warmups, just, you know, like I, back in ye old days when we could go to games, I really enjoy watching warmups. Um, but I think I would especially enjoy watching Arkansas warmups. Like I don't know, I don't know what they do for warmups. I don't know if they do anything distinctive, but I just have this vision of like a very up tempo warm up with like raining shots. Yeah, and like we haven't even talked about Amber Ramirez yet, uh, who's you know shot forty four percent from three last year, is uh, maybe even just a better pure shooter than someone like Destiny Slocum, and she's um, she's back as a senior as well, and and is never going to have the best defender on her with all the other talent they have when Slocum and Dungey are on the floor together. Um, she's going to shoot in the forties again. So that this, this whole team would just be a really fun, like, like Jen said, they, they should, we just need a Arkansas three point contest. Like that would, I would just tune in just for that. We should probably, while we're at it, we should change the substitution rules to be that experimental role that they did in the WNBA all-star game. Where you could <laughs> do like running sub because that's like probably the only way to make Arkansas more exciting. <laughs> It'd be like a full-on hockey team. Yeah, yeah. 
I like the, I like it. Just keep they'll just be like running on and off the court. You won't even know who's on the court anymore. It'll it'll keep it real interesting. <laughs> All right, I have one last hot take that kind of relates to um, finish it off with. But, I mean, to start it off, not really that much of a hot take, but I just think we're going we're gonna to see a lot of parity in the season, and I think we could very much come down to, like, Selection Sunday and still be looking at a list of, like, 10, 12 teams that were, like, any of these teams could make the Final Four. But to make it a bit more of a hot take, I think that at least one team that either has never made the Final Four or hasn't made it since prior to 2000 is going to make it um that gives you you know of your like top teams in the country you've got arizona ucla and kentucky have never made one nc state hasn't gone since 1998 and arkansas hasn't been since 1998 and they just those teams both just have that one appearance in 1998 so um i think we could see easily one of those five teams in the final four megan if i put you on the spot and made you pick one of those teams which one would you pick I mean, I don't want to give away my final four picks from later, but... Oh, all right. All right. We'll get, we'll get there. All right. So I think that wraps it up for hot takes. So we do, do we want to shift over to All-Americans um, and talk about our picks for that? I think just to start off that discussion, the AP all, preseason All-Americans were Ari McDonald from Arizona, David, Dana Evans from Louisville, Ryan Howard from Kentucky, Michaela Onyanwari from UCLA and Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina, but I have a feeling we probably all have some players on that list that maybe are not on the AP list. Megan, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I actually think the like AP list is pretty much exactly what I expected. Like, let's just start with that. Like, I actually think that the only player that I'm taking off that list right now is Dana Evans, and no shade to her. I just she's the like one player on that list. I'm not totally sold on being a all-american this season but i really will be surprised if at the end of the season Olivia boston's not on that list or ari mcdonald or ryan howard or of course michaela anuary i think you all knew that she was going to be on my list but um i feel like for me though who goes into that spot for dana evans i just don't know like i literally have a list of 13 players here but um i'm gonna probably go with it's either gonna be Kristen Williams or Dee Dee Richards if she's healthy and plays most of the season. I think those are my top two picks. But I do feel like by the end of the season, UConn probably has an All-American. So my gut's probably Kristen Williams there. Um, I, my, mine is probably pretty similar to yours. Um, I I think that Aaliyah Boston, Ryan Howard, and Ari McDonald are pretty close to locks, assuming that they don't get injured. Um, please, universe, don't. Don't take those three away from us. Um, my fourth pick would be Elisa Cunane from NC State, who I talked about earlier. And then I'm going to kind of hedge on my fifth one. I think either Dana Evans or Michaela Anuite, um, depending on which player is on the better team by season's end. Um, I know UCLA is a little shorthanded right now, so we'll see how many players they can they can roll out, but if if they you know finish pretty high in the Pac-12, I think it could be them. But if Louisville wins the ACC, I think you've got to put Dana Evans on that team. So I'll kind of hedge there a little bit. Um, and then I think a player who like could be kind of a sleeper is Melissa Smith from Baylor. Um, I think Dee Dee Richards is a great pick though too. So uh, 
lots of candidates. And I think that kind of goes back to your comment earlier about, about all the parody. Yeah. And I also had Melissa Smith on that 13 player list that I've got going here. So I totally agree with that take as well. Yeah, I'm going to, I definitely agree. I think we all kind of have that big three, right? With uh, what Jen said, that Leah Boston, uh, Ari McDonald and Ryan Howard are basically locks, you know, injury or COVID is about the only thing that would keep them uh, off that list, I would say. Uh, and then, you know, I already mentioned my hot take. Uh, I'm going to go with an Oregon player to be named later. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, one of my All-Americans is someone from Oregon. I think the front runner is probably uh, Sedona Prince, but I think there's a couple others who could maybe break out and surprise us. And then my fifth one is uh, going to be someone we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Arella Garantes from Rutgers. I think she's primed to have a really big season. She kind of, uh, I guess, flirted with the WNBA draft, uh, decided to come back. She, I think she's going to have a triple-double at some point this year. She's a stat stuffer, and she's, you know, unquestionably the leader of that team. And um, I th especially if Rutgers finishes in the top three or so, two or three of the Big Ten, um, I think I think she she could maybe at least uh, be, be close, if not on that list as well. I mean, for sure. She's also ranked ninth among players returning based on win shares, so she's ninth in the country out of everyone that's coming back um and what they recorded for win shares last year with 9.2 win shares so super impressive player for sure and kind of gonna keep Rutgers I think in that big 10 conversation this year how much do you worry Calvin I like your picks uh, I like your picks a lot um how much do you worry about Oregon like stealing votes from each other <laughs> yeah that's a good question um I don't know if I do that much because here's why I think like they have like, I don't know, four or five players who maybe have that ceiling where if they really reach their potential, they could be like an all American caliber player. But I think there's so many question marks like Nara Sabli hasn't played in two years. Sedona Prince hasn't played in two years um, that we, that a lot of them aren't necessarily going to reach that peak. And so I don't think it's that likely that you have two, players that end up being so good that they both get enough votes to kind of steal from each other. I think, I think you're going to end up having one and whoever the second best player is obviously going to be a great player, but I don't think uh, necessarily they're going to be at that level where they're sort of stealing vote top five player in the country votes away from someone else. True. That might, that, I mean, that could just be a UConn problem. <laughs> yeah, that could very well be a UConn problem this South year. Carolina fans, I'm not insulting South Carolina here. Uh, <laughs> we see that a little bit with Baylor in the sense that uh, Megan, you mentioned Dee Dee Richards, and I mentioned Melissa Smith. Like both of them, I think are kind of like sleeper candidates, but it's hard to pick one over the other at this point. Yeah, I agree with that. Like they're both kind of a little bit off the radar, but I mean, well, not really off the radar because it's still Baylor, but not quite on that like all-American radar yet. But both have a shot at that. I think they help though that they play very different positions, so I think that helps in terms of the like stealing votes. Just because I think when the all-American team comes out, it usually has somewhat of a balance of you know a couple guards, a couple front court players. So. Yeah, that helps them a little bit. I kind of ignored positions when I did my list because I didn't want to make my brain explode. I think that's fair. more works. Uh, like I didn't, I didn't pick five guards, so I think I'm good. But 
Um, I, I feel like another sleeper could be Tiana. Um, you know, that would be putting a lot on her to say, oh, you'll come back from cancer and make the All-American team. So, like, I wasn't going to put her on there right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if she came back, you know, at or near the level that she was before she got sick, um, which I think would be, you know, really great for her. She's definitely on WNBA radars, and it would be great for her to have that kind of season. Um, So I think she could end up there, but I didn't necessarily want to put her on there now because that just seems really unfair. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That I I I also ignored positions. Uh, I I have like Aaron McDonald and a bunch of bigs, basically. But <laughs> Donna Prince is the Oregon player. Um, I'm gonna throw out a really deep sleeper though, uh, from Notre Dame. I kind of liked her last year, even though she maybe underperformed a little bit. Sam Brunel. Um, I think she's. I I still think she's just primed to explode. Like she was she was a top ten recruit, and she every time I watch her shoot. It doesn't matter whether it goes in or it's an air ball or, or what. It looks really smooth and fundamental. It looks just, it's so pretty to watch, even if it doesn't come close to going in. And it just makes you think, like, at some point, she shot 20-some percent from three last year. At some point, she's going to start shooting to her, you know, to her level of capability. She won the McDonald's All-American contest, uh, three-point shooting contest in high school. And when that happens, she's she's obviously has the potential to be sort of a top top 10, you know, maybe even, I don't, I'm not obviously putting her as a top five player in the country, but if she, if she were to reach her ceiling and things were to really click for her, she would be one of those deep sleepers I think I would, I would throw in there. Yeah, she's definitely a player to keep an eye on. I feel like everything with Notre Dame this year, I'm like, because of the season they had last year, I need to see it before I'm going to like say that they're top 25 team or that they're, you know, players are going to be in the running for these year-end awards. But I, I mean, obviously, like, Notre Dame has the history to back it up. But just for me, I'm like, I need to see it before I'm going to believe it. Yeah, I didn't love the, the top 25 pick for them without without them having to show that they've markedly improved from last year. Um, though I do think Brunel will, will probably be a lot more efficient this year. With You know, I do think Notre Dame's going to be better and it's going to have more options. And I think that will make life easier for Sam Brunel. I think she might be a year or two away from being an All-American, but I don't. I don't hate the pick by any means, and I do think Notre Dame is going to be better. I just wouldn't. I would make them. I would make them sweat it out a little bit before they get the top twenty-five right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I would not have picked them in the top twenty-five either. And honestly, I'm not sure if I would actually pick St. Brunel even as like an honorable mention All-American. But I just think she's one of those that has you know that that sort of ceiling if things go perfectly. For sure. One thing I wanted to call it here that kind of stems back to the argument we were having before we started recording, but not a single one of us mentioned a Stanford player, despite the fact that they are kind of <laughs> number two in every poll. <laughs> I think that like explains, so I am not as high on Stanford as the national polls are. And that's not to say that I think that they will be bad by any means. I'm just not as excited about them as I am about in Arizona or about in Oregon. And I think just like looking at their roster, I don't quite know who is going to be that primary option. You know, is it going to be Haley Jones? Is it going to be Kiana Williams? Is it going to be one of the whole twins? Like, you know, Ashton Prechtel could be a, a breakout candidate, but you know, who's, who is it going to be? Um, 
so I think that the reason we haven't talked about them, at least from my perspective, is I just don't quite know the pecking order that Tara Vanderveer is going to have there. And as a result, I have a really hard time judging how how good I think they're going to be in the spectrum from like good to really good, you know? Yeah, I entirely agree with that, Jen. When I like look at the roster, I feel like I just see a bunch of question marks. I see all these players that are good and we've seen them be good, but like no one that's like stood out as being great. And I'm like, okay, well, for Stanford to be the number two team in the country, at least one, probably more of these players need to like start standing out and being great. And I don't know who that is yet. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are very hyped on Haley Jones. I mean, she was the number one recruit. Totally makes sense to be hyped on her, but we haven't, she was injured last year. We didn't get to see a lot from her. So, I, it's not that Stanford can't be the number two team in the country. They definitely have the pieces to make that possible. I'm just not sold on it yet. And I don't want to say you can't be a top two team in the country relying on freshmen uh, because that's what South Carolina did last year, if we all recall. But, um, you know, like they have a really good recruiting class, but I also don't want to anoint them based only on the strength of their freshman class. So I, I yeah, I see a lot of question marks. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking beforehand off air about this, but I'm gonna. I this is one of those. Where I'm gonna disagree with you guys. I'm very high on Stanford, uh, and I, you know, I'm looking at their team. They were a top ten team last year. Uh, whether you look at our her hoop stats ratings or you know the AP poll, they're basically in that top ten the whole year. Um, probably lined up for a two seed. They had twelve players play a uh, hundred plus minutes over the season. I think I brought up this stat to Megan on our last podcast. 11 of those players are back. Um, the only one that's you know gone is Nadia Fingal. They bring back Keanu Williams, you mentioned, uh, who I think is a very underrated point guard. And I think Haley Jones is is going to live up you know to that hype if she gets a full season healthy. Uh, Cameron Brink, they, they bring in as the number three recruit. Um, and, and Haley Jones and, and Cameron Brink, I think I, this this may be a hot take, but this this is the best uh, this is the best duo that Stanford has had since Chanae and Neca, in my opinion. Um, so I I think they're prime, and I I actually do agree with you guys that they don't have that sort of one player that you say, all right, this is this is your top of the totem pole sort of player. But I think they can be maybe a team that that can be a top two team without necessarily needing that because they're so deep and have so you know so much talent so many different spots I think it could be one of those teams where every game it's someone different and in one game you know so Keanu Williams scores 25 and Haley Jones scores five in the next game uh Haley Jones scores 25 in the next game Cameron Brink scores 25 and and you don't know who's gonna who's gonna break out in any given game and it doesn't really matter because someone's going to so so I'm I'm very high on Stanford this year I'll disagree with you guys uh but we'll we'll see how it plays out for sure. I mean, we'll like luckily get to hopefully start seeing that play out next week. So we're not far from getting to see what all of this actually looks like on a court and probably being wrong about all of these things. But <laughs> <laughs> things that I would like to see beyond the actual game. Can we? Can I lobby for a dunk contest between Fran Belibi and Sedona Prince before yes. or after <laughs> the Oregon Stanford game? <laughs> yes please like for yes. television we all need because i don't want them to be too tired <laughs> we'll just do like like the the final four you know when they have like the three-point contest and the dunk contest we can have like the arkansas three-point contest and then and then that dunk contest like right like back to back on the same both you know on espn or whatever um it'll be you know it'll be appointment television 
I like that. I was going to say it could be like a way better version of like the manager's game that at least <laughs> times is played before games, like the night before. But I like the idea of like broadcasting it on national television as part of the final four. That's that's pretty great. Yeah, I second that. I'd love to see that. All right, should we close it out with final four picks? Let's do it. Calvin, you want to start us off? Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned, I can't remember if I did or not, that I, I you know, spoiled that I'm going to have Oregon in my final four this year. Um, I'm very high on them with, with their depth. And uh, I, I, I uh, touched on this a little bit, but I think this is, this is sort of Kelly Graves' year to become that, uh, that reload, not rebuild type of coach, you know, that where they say, like, the great teams don't rebuild, they reload, or whatever the saying is. Uh, and when you lose four starters and three of them are first-round WNBA picks, you're supposed to rebuild. But I think he reloaded. I think he's almost as talented. It's impossible to be as talented as that team, but he's deeper than that team. Um, and I think they're going to get that final four appearance that, you know, they won in last year and, and kind of got robbed of. I'm also going to go with Stanford. I already heaped a bunch of praises on them, uh, like two minutes ago, but I'm picking Stanford in the final four as well. Two teams out of the pack 12. I'm going to go with UConn then Megan. I'm on the page Becker's hype train. Uh, I love, I love Aubrey Griffin. I think she's going to have a breakout year this year. Honestly, we could, we throw her into that dunk contest too. I've seen some videos on social media of her throwing, throwing some down. So, uh, I'm big on her and South Carolina. Then I'm going with South Carolina as well with all the talent that we've talked about, Aaliyah Boston, Zia Cook. Uh, and of course my, my hot take on destiny Henderson. Um, I'm picking South Carolina in the final four. Nice. Jen, you want to go next? Sure. I think mine's pretty similar. So I've got South Carolina, UConn, and then I need to hedge a little bit. I'm sorry, but Dee Dee Richards has a spinal injury and we don't know if she's going to play. Uh, and so that's a pretty big if. I think if Baylor is fully healthy, they could be, they would probably be my a, a pick there for me. Um, if Baylor's not healthy, then I'll take two teams out of the Pac-12 Pac as well. Um, some combination of Arizona, Oregon, and Stanford. And then a team that I think I haven't mentioned yet, but I could totally see making it that I just haven't quite pulled the trigger on putting them in is NC State. Megan, you kind of talked about them earlier, but yeah, I didn't quite pull the trigger, but I might regret that in March. (laughs) Yeah, if they make it, you're going to regret not making the hot take for sure. Um, so for me, I've got UConn as well. I won't bore you with my why. I think UConn's going to make it. You can go listen to the UConn Vlogs, Women's Basketball Podcast, Chasing Perfection, if you want to hear me talk about UConn. I've talked about it enough there. But um, I also have Baylor on the hedging that Duty Richards does play. But a somewhat hot take, maybe not that much of a hot take. I think if Dee Dee Richards is healthy and kind of back in her game early in the season, uh, Baylor is probably the number one team in the country by the time the season ends. Um, I'm also putting UCLA in there. I know they're shortchanged right now. I think hopefully by March they've found a way to get their freshmen into the country. Um, obviously, another not fun side effect of COVID there, but I'm really high on Michaela Anyaware, really high on Charisma Osborne having a breakout season. Freshman last year was a solid player for them, pretty explosive on offense. I think if she can just finish more at the rim and kind of she's supposed to be a good shooter. She didn't shoot that great last season, but 
I mean, in freshman year, there's expected to be some growing pain. So if she can improve her efficiency offensively, I think she's going to be really good for them too. They don't lose a whole lot from last year's team either. They lose to Dean, but um, I mean, DePriest Dean didn't have the best season for her senior year. I think not too hard to replace her production. So I think as long as they can get the rest of their team into the country um, by the end of the season, they've got a real shot at making it there. And then, like I kind of said earlier, like there's just so much parody on this list. I had a really hard time deciding who I was putting in in my fourth. I'm going with South Carolina, but I'm still not sold on who's stepping up there to make them that kind of fourth team. So I really think, I mean, really any of these teams, like I think it's still pretty open. Like there is a lot of names that could be on that list. Yeah, I don't know if you guys thought about any potential Cinderella's um, and, you know, maybe we need to put a definition on Cinderella's because I was kind of looking through the the 10 to 20 and in Syracuse's case, 23 range. And I saw a lot of teams that I feel like if the draw works out well for them could make kind of that Syracuse in what was it? 2016 run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've talked about Syracuse A&M. I think it's going to Texas A&M. I think it's going to be really good. Kentucky. Like who wants to, who wants to face Ryan Howard in the NCAA tournament? Like not me. Um, nope. <laughs> and Indiana, who I talked about earlier as, as well, because of all that they're bringing back and particularly those guards. So I see a lot of, you know, speaking to your point about how, how like 12 teams could make the final four. And I think we could even have more than that as, as potential, like if the matchups work out well, like I would not be surprised. Um, so I think it'll be a really fun year, assuming that we can make it happen. For sure. I think Arkansas is another name to throw in there too. Like, especially playing at that kind of pace, it just gives you a window to kind of just run teams up and down the court, which can be a winning strategy for sure. So yeah, a lot of Cinderella teams in the middle there. And the interesting thing is, uh, the so the men's tournament obviously announced they're going to be, you know, at least try to be in a bubble. I think the women's, they have not announced that yet, correct? But they'd probably go in that direction. Or did they announce that already? They have not announced it yet. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I thought. But that it seems like that would be kind of the logical, you know, next next thing if, if men's are going to. Um, I don't know. I know there's dif- differences in sort of money and everything like that uh but if that happens uh that'll just even be more of a sort of tip the scales for cinderellas because your one seeds your twos threes and fours they won't get that home court um that they usually get so i don't know if we're going to see a bubble in women's or not but if so that's that's just going to add some some cinderellas i think yeah i think a big reason on the women's side we haven't seen it is just like they've got a little bit more time because the way they do the first couple of rounds, it's host teams based on the top four seats. So those arenas haven't been booked. So they don't have to like make a decision on whether or not they're using those arenas at this point. I actually don't think it's a money thing because I have to imagine that doing the one site thing probably saves the NCAA money because there's a lot less travel involved. Um, so I think it just comes down to the structure of the women's tournament just buys them a little bit more time to have a better feel for, uh, not that we will have a better feel for what the world's going to look like at that point, but they can at least wait it out a little bit. Yeah, I just wonder how the whole thing's going to work because, like, 64 teams in a bubble? Like, that's insane. (laughs) Like, the NBA didn't even do half that many teams. Like, that is insane. Like, I I mean, it it sounds like the men's might play at at multiple arenas because otherwise (laughs) I don't know how you get that many games in. So maybe, like, each arena is its own bubble and then you merge them once teams have left. But, like, logistically like wow that is i i'm glad that i am not uh working 
uh, for the NPAA and planning that event because I think my brain would explode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the men's side, you have 68 teams. And Jen, you're a Duke men's fan. Coach K brought up some concerns, I think, today with just had the sheer number of people, 68 times num- number of players plus the number of coaches and support staff is, you're right, that's a lot, a lot of people. Uh, but they're definitely going to have to play at multiple arenas. I think it can be done if you do that. You're going to have to have a lot of hotels. You're going to have to have, I think, I think you have to have at least four arenas. But if there's no fans, you don't necessarily need, you know, a big, nice, fancy uh, NBA arena or Division One arena um, for, for some of the games. So, I mean, I think it's feasible, especially if you start planning it now. It's, it's going to be a lot of work, but it's... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just like you said, props to all the people sweating the logistics of that. Yeah, it'll also be interesting to see if they keep any losing teams around, uh, kind of like the TBT did this summer, um, where they had teams in reserve in case there were positive tests. Um, because just like mathematically, with that many people, the odds of someone testing positive are like fairly high even if you do the best that you can to make a bubble. So it'll be interesting to see if they just go to the straight, like forfeit if you have a positive test or like we'll bring in, you know, a, a, a replacement team based on these criteria or, or how they would, how they would deal with that. Fingers crossed. We won't even have to use those protocols, but it's crossed my mind. Yeah. And you hear everyone say too, uh, just that it's every year, it's like, it's not an S curve. It's a G curve. Right. And geography determines who plays who and who goes where. But if it's in a bubble, it will actually be an S curve. It will not. The G, there will be no G. So that that'll be you know exciting to see, too. Maybe teams will be seated a little bit more appropriately um, just because it won't it won't matter where they're traveling. Yeah, for sure. I think that's on both sides. It's going to be a big thing to see. But yeah, on the women's side, too, like the if they go that route, everyone's going to just can be seated according to exactly where they should be seated and placed where they should be placed um, without the added geography. But it makes the selection committee's job a lot easier, too. All they got to do is come up with that list and then it's just go down the list to see put people where they belong to go. So yeah, you um, still have to, you know, you still probably want to make sure that you don't have like teams from the same conference, like slated right, for the yeah. second round. But I think that, I think that going away from the G curve would be a major victory for the women's game. And I mean, who knows, maybe they'll put it in Las Vegas and then it's basically Debbie Antonelli's sweet 16 to Vegas. So uh, <laughs> Debbie, if you're listening, we've shouted you out three times by now and we didn't even coordinate this beforehand. So that's <laughs> confirmation that you're great. So hi Debbie. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I would love to see that come to fruition. And I think that, that a bubble could really have positive impacts on how the tournament is seeded even beyond this year. For sure. I don't know that it will have much impact beyond this year just because geography, when you're playing, like the, I mean, it comes down to the money for the NCAA. That's why they're doing it, I think, for the men's and the women's game. But just travel-wise, it comes down to the money. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And of course, we won't have... Uh... We won't have an Ivy League champion, unfortunately, so that frees up one more at large spot. So for for getting into the minutiae, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's true. And change. Ivy might end up not being the only league. There's a couple other leagues, like the Patriot League, seems to follow the Ivy League a lot in terms of their decisions, and they're they're already one of the strictest leagues, I think, in terms of the protocols. So we could see a league like that end up. Uh, 
end up canceling at some point. Uh, we, we could get down to 29 or 30. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of this shakes out, obviously. Um, I guess we haven't seen any more cancellation announcements at this point, so I guess that's a good sign considering we're a week out. But yeah, I think it's just going to it's gonna change day to day, all season long. So hopefully things just go as well as they possibly can for you know this year. Yeah. But. Yeah, and with the auto bids too, if you're, you know, a conference tournament and someone, you know, maybe if you have a game canceled in the regular season, you can make it up. But in the conference tournament, there's not really any time to make up that game. If the game's canceled, it's done. And if, if you go with that team moving on as a forfeit, you could you could see a couple teams get auto bids too that maybe would not have otherwise gotten that auto bid because the team that they would have played in the conference championship or the final four of the conference tournament had to forfeit. Uh, so we might see a few teams make the tournament who might not have otherwise made it too, which which could be interesting. Yeah, it's all going to be very interesting. I hope by the time we get to conference tournaments, we're playing in bubbles. So that hopefully negates some of that risk, but it's all going to be, there's not a lot of time. So even when you go to a bubble format, if someone already has it, I don't like, there's not time to take two weeks off before you start that tournament. So it'll be interesting to see what these leagues do. Maybe they, you know, start that bubble a couple weeks before the conference tournament and play out the rest of the regular season there or something, but we still see, I guess. Yeah, I think the I think we're just all going to have to be flexible here. Um, if you're wondering what the schedule is going to look like next next week, I will plug Jacqueline LeBlanc's story on our site. Everything we know about the NCAA schedule so far, and she like that title is is not um, misleading. She was very thorough and highly recommend. Yeah, for sure. Definitely go check that out. It's got a lot of good information in there. I've also noticed that the ESPN app is seems to be updated. So. It's a good place to look too. Yeah, Jacqueline did some serious research research for that piece. So shout out to Jacqueline. That was impressive. I just hope as much of the schedule as possible, especially the really big, important, exciting games, selfishly, that you know end up happening. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too, you know, this is kind of getting away from COVID, but you know, as the games do go on, or, or even if some do get canceled, I'll be curious to see how teams decide to use their platforms for social justice and how that is similar or different to what the WNBA did. I think that'll be a really interesting storyline to watch, regardless of how many games we get in, um, just to see, you know, what players at, at this age and this level think is the most productive way to continue any conversations that they may want to share um, you know, hopefully with a national TV audience, um, but certainly in their communities as much as they're able. For sure. And on that subject, I would plug, um, the, it's from a few weeks ago, but there's an episode of the Monday Herbs Death Podcast with Corey Close, and she talks a lot about what UCLA did this summer when all that news was starting to come out. Um, so that's definitely worth a listen about kind of what they've done in terms of social justice and how their team has approached it so far. So uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would definitely go listen to that. Yeah, I've been really impressed with just how many teams have sort of stepped up already this this summer, and whether it's led led a march or or rally or something like that, or or teams who have already, you know, a lot of teams are are planning on making making statements with, uh, you know, what, whatever it is, warm up shirts, um, things like that during the season, and uh, I just I love seeing you know young young athletes uh activism 
Yeah, and, and on that note, I think I would be remiss if I didn't shout out uh, my local George Washington University, who just today announced that they are doing an initiative called Season of Action, which is a, a marketing campaign to bring awareness not only to causes like Black Lives Matter, but also um, against you know sexual assault and, and military appreciation and mental health and all these other causes, uh, pride that they want to that they want to highlight. So, uh, you know, hats off to them for that. I, I'm not sure I've seen other programs announce something quite so comprehensive and season long at this point, and hopefully we'll see more. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really awesome. The, can we shout out the WNBA real quick too? I know this is a college podcast, but the advocacy that they had is specifically for uh, Raphael Warnock, you know, the vote Warnock shirts and, and everything. And uh, now that race with Kelly Leffler is going to a runoff, you know, not to, not to get all political on this podcast, but, WNBA may have quite literally flipped a Senate seat, which is phenomenal at how the impact that they, that, you know, the trickle down impact that that will have on so many people in this country. For sure. I feel like that's a good note to end it on just like really positive impact from at the professional level, but also these college teams. I mean, if you haven't go check out what your local college team is doing, what the college team you're a fan is doing, I'm sure that in most cases there's a way to support whatever they're doing. So I know definitely something to be on the lookout for. Find ways to get involved with that. Thanks, Jen and Calvin, for joining me. Thanks for having us. This is this is a tradition now, and you're stuck with us. <laughs> <laughs> One of these years, we're going to do it in person. Yes, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> Well, that's all for tonight's episode. Be sure to be on the lookout for new things coming to the stats website at hoopstats.com in the coming days. Um, some really exciting stuff coming hopefully before the season starts. So keep an eye out for that. Also, make sure you rate, like, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and help people find us um, and just, you know, kind of boost our audience. So be sure to do that and make sure you're following us on social at hoopstats on all platforms. We'll be live tweeting games and all that fun stuff really soon. So be on the lookout for that as well. Thanks again for listening. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack. And the shoulder like a passing lane? Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.